We're here on Generation Barn for another week, the show that needs an introduction. I'm here with a very happy man, uh, my father, Neil. Neil, how are you feeling? Let us know. Oh, pretty reasonably satisfied, but funnily enough, um, grand finals happen and you're fl- fluke winning in a sense, and it, it's that enormous effort goes, and, you, and then you go, well, that wasn't that hard. <laughs> but it was. <laughs> but the the thing that happens to you probably by Wednesday or Thursday, you tend to you feel as though you got no purpose. Yeah. <laughs> like you, what am I going to do now? <laughs> because it is just such an almost. It's not cathartic. It's not right. But it's like it's all this energy, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's been achieved. Yeah. And particularly for the Tigers, it hasn't hasn't happened for a hell of a long time. Yeah. And for we saw for four weeks that. The people just more of them, and more of them, and more yeah. of them, and they filled up the streets of Richmond, and they filled up Punt Road twice in two days, and there's a hundred and fifty thousand at the uh, the Friday parade. I mean, it was amazing. So all of that happens, and then finally you do it. The kids played fantastic footy, yeah, really fantastic yeah. footy, and then you win the game. You go, oh, you do feel a little bit empty, but all of a sudden we're going to start again. They, I think they want to do it again now. Well, this is sure one, our fans wants to do it again. This is one of the great uh, times for sports journalism because the narrative's really spoken about. I find like last year with the Bulldogs and this year with Richmond, there's a lot more long-form pieces where they really go into what happened with the process. And I find that, uh, yeah, really inspirational, I suppose. Um, well, again, we're, we're, in a funny way, all clubs last year saw the Bulldogs and say, well, that should inspire us all. Yeah. Because there's yeah. no way known that anyone predicted they were going to win, but they got better and better, and then there was a chance, and then there was a chance, and even... I think I remember feeling, you know, halfway through the third quarter, I'm yeah. thinking, they're coming, Sydney are coming. <laughs> and then it was a bit, for, they're not coming. <laughs> so it was an inspiration to all of us that if you actually get the get it right, get your game right, get your people together, make sure everyone's pulling in the same direction, well, you can do it. Mm. So that is an inspiration to all of us. And then and we at Richmond didn't, kind of didn't say, well, yeah, it's too easy just to say, well, we're going to be like the Bulldogs. We're not like the Bulldogs. But the story is very much like the Bulldogs, where if you get it together, play well together, yeah. make sure that's all working, well, you've got a chance of beating everyone. Yeah. And, and, and then again, that's why it is a beautiful narrative. It's not just the best team with the best players showed what they were. It's mm. this group came together and made sure that they got, got the job done. Well, speaking of inspiration, I thought we'd start the show with uh, a quick little question each. And I suppose I'm calling it sack of potatoes because it's actually opening yourself up I've spoken about this a few times, the vulnerability of uh, being a man. Um, so I thought I'd ask Pretty you... It's popular a qu- now, though, vulnerability. It is. Once, well, that was the thing. once vulnerability is out. Definitely, but... Vulnerability is now in. You've heard of the Jack Dyer medal when uh, Trent Cotchin was talking yes, about absolutely. vulnerability, yeah. emotional availability. Anyway, um, I suppose the question I wanted to ask you was, when was the last time you learnt something for the first time? <laughs> oh, that's, that, well, that's, that is a question there, no? I've still got no answer to it. Um, when did I learn something for the first time? Oh, it's been it's a fair while ago, I reckon, because mm-hmm. like there's a lot a lot that happens that is similar to each other, and it's yeah, that's what I thought, and that's and I'm glad that's now worked. I think um, there's not much in in your life now that, that is just pure new. Yeah. Um, and it should be in a sense, but it's probably not because the things that put together. Let, let's say you know, if on, on the same subject, the blokes who won. Yep. What was new about that? Well. There's a lot of new stuff about it, but the simple principle of blokes working together, blokes giving themselves up for the team, yeah, like re- all of them doing. I like everyone from the the superstars to the last picks were all just wanting to do it for each other. The coaches weren't looking to get any extra kudos; they just wanted to do their bit. Similarly, the staff. I mean, I don't know. That's you'd probably say that about everyone. That that is really true. So, I didn't learn anything new. I just learned. The stuff that's really true. Like <laughs> I remember talking to the the people when they were when we were celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of the sixty seven game. We were looking at what was different in those days. Why they played different, and laughed at the, right. the drop kicks and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I did say to them, well, I said, but the thing that's the same as now are the are the important stuff. Hmm. Are they committed to each other? How hard do they work at it? Do they really care about each other? The camaraderie, yeah. playing for the team rather than playing for yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's all. Those things are the same. So, what's What's new is nothing, probably. The fact that there is no trick. You know what, you know what the trick is? Well, There's no trick. <laughs> well, we've opened that sack of potatoes now for your question. Well, we saw so many people wandering around the streets of Richmond over that month period. And I wonder, is it okay for mature people to wear their footy jumper? 
Is it okay for men to wear their footy jumper? I think um, the older you get, the more it becomes uh, socially unacceptable. It's a little but I think quaint, <laughs> I think if you're wearing nothing underneath, it, it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, the short sleeve just with the arms out. That's not. That's, that's not right. Good. Yeah, yeah. When you're seeing the, the hair and all on the shoulders, but. Uh, to celebrate your team's win during the past couple of weeks or during the footy season, I've got absolutely no problem with it, no matter what age you are. You know what, and, and I'm, I'm sort of looking at it going, I don't know quite where I fit with this. And then on Sunday, after the grand final, in this very same place, in walks one of the heroes of my life, Barry Richardson, and he's got his old lace-up on. Yes, that's really <laughs> Fortunately, he had regular sleeves. <laughs> So I, I guess it is okay. It's okay for him, and he is a mature man. Yes. And a wise man. If it's okay for him, it's okay for all of us. <laughs> well, we're very fortunate to be joined by a wonderful guest tonight. Uh, the first female chief football writer for the age, or football's first lady. But I actually just want to ask you, Caroline, how would you describe what you do and who you are? Hello, Will. Hi, Neil. <laughs> I reckon at the age of 30, you stop wearing footy jumpers, by the way. That's my schedule of limitation. It's not a question for you. Unless you're a recent <laughs> premiership player like Barry Richardson. Yeah, exactly. Um, otherwise, a scarf. Uh, well, I, I would describe myself first as a mother and a wife. And um, I'm the chief footy writer of the age. And I've been doing it for 19 years. So I'm quite proud of that. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the fact when I took on the job, it was probably a bit of a publicity stunt or a marketing thing by the age, I reckon. Do you, re do you really think that? I think that was part of it. Yeah. I don't think they saw that I would do the role in the way that others had done it. And I think I think that's been made clear to me that I cer they certainly didn't think, and I never thought I would do it for this long. I gave it two years. I had young children and it was a lot more stressful than I thought it would be, but I fell in love with it. I really fell in love with the job. Um, so a, a writer, I think writer most of all. I mean, writing's what I really love. I love radio. I, I don't really enjoy working on TV. I find it a bit embarrassing, but yeah. I love writing. Yeah, so when, when did your love of writing really uh, commence? Or at take school. Off? Yeah. At school, yeah. When I had, um, they'd say you only need one good parent and one good teacher. And I had yeah. this wonderful English teacher in year 11 and 12. And she and I was a rat bag at school. I got suspended for smoking in year 10. And I was just, <laughs> I never aspired to any leadership roles. And we played cards every lunchtime. I was hopeless at sport, you know, everything. But, and I, and I, I almost perpetuated my own hopelessness. But I, I was obviously had a reasonable brain. And this particular teacher, Dean Turner, used to tell me what a lovely writer I was and, you know, really went into my essays with me. and... Yeah, so that's where it started. Well, I'm very lucky I've got uh, my mother because uh, the, other, the other parents are absolutely useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the question is, uh, with Swan Street, the mania that happened there, and I read your wonderful article in The Age about your love of uh, Richmond and growing up as a Richmond supporter. How do you compare the, uh, the 73 and 74 and 80 mania compared to uh, the couple of weeks that have just gone past? Well, I think, um, and I don't want to pick up from another question, but I will steal your question from before. What I've learned that I didn't realise is that it takes you back to when you were that age again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so it's so ridiculous. I, you know, I had to write 1,400 words by a 7, 7.15 deadline. I hate cheering in the press box. I've banned it for years. It's never <laughs> been an issue for me because the Tigers have never played on grand final day as I've been. Oh, my last one was... My first year as a footy writer was 82 and Richmond lost that game. Right. And I missed a pivotal part of the third quarter because I was sent down to interview the streaker and get her name. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I was trying to explain to myself as I was wandering down Punt Road, trying to find a cab, trying to find my family at about nine o'clock at night, having yeah. had a break-up drink with the age guys, having written my piece, why I felt so deliriously happy. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s, I've got three children... I'm probably probably a bit of a high achiever. Why on earth did I care so much? And I, I thought, it's because I remember now how I felt when I was 13 yeah. and when I was 12 and when I was 14. And it it's like when you hear, when for me, like Carol King's Tapestry, one of my yeah. favourite albums. <sighs> when I hear a song from that album, I'm back that 14-year-old girl down at the beach around the ping pong table with a crush on that boy or you know something <laughs> yeah. you know it, 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 it's the deja vu or something yeah, right. so that was what it was for me I mean and and to see my mother so happy and my my sister well she's only a few years younger than me and it was like she was in the Richmond cheer squad yeah it was like she was back in the cheer squad again she wouldn't <laughs> she was meant to go home to Sydney with her husband on Sunday she didn't leave till Tuesday That's afternoon <laughs> she had three more trips to the merchandise shop oh, really? it was extraordinary <laughs> 
Oh, anyway, that's fantastic. Uh, so, in, in comparison, I suppose Neil, when you were a player, I suppose some of them are in your your shoes back in the seventies. How was the the mania for you? Yeah, it's hard to remember back, like what you really felt back mm. then. But there was a, it was a, even like now there was a certain relief in it because it was so much. You know, got up to do you win or do you not win? There's a bit of a relief about it, but yeah, we, we really felt very proud of ourselves. I can remember that. Like we were almost arrogant in. Like we're going to win, and this is what's going to happen. Um, so th- we certainly, I think, we um, celebrated with a certain arrogance as well, which probably our players do this year. I think you should. I mean, it's they really they sacrifice a lot more nowadays from in their lives. Like you know, we had regular jobs, and you know, it was a, we were a bit more normal than they are now. But there was still a, quite a sacrifice to get to play. But these guys give up a fair bit. Mm. Um, so you can understand. I don't understand, but. You can see why they might go a bit crazy for a couple of weeks when the season finishes, particularly yeah. particularly when they win. Yeah, yeah. Um, Caroline, how did you get your start in sports uh, writing? Well, I, I I went into writing in the first place because I wanted to work in the film industry. Oh, right. um, I was an absolute movie buff in my teenage years. I wanted to be a film critic if I yeah. didn't end up being a script writer and. I used to have all these books on script writing and movies and various directors I loved, etc. And then I got a job as a copy girl at the old Melbourne Herald, got a cadetship, and towards the end of my cadetship, there was just a room in the old Herald building that they seemed to be having a lot more fun than anywhere else. (laughs) And that was the sports department. The laughs that would come out of that room, and it was a room, like you couldn't see in, um, were just, it was wonderful. Mike Sheehan was the chief footy writer. There were guys like Don Lawrence and Bill Cannon and Peter Stone. And, oh, look, it was just a... John Craven writing athletics, Alf Brown, who was retired but lived in this funny little room upstairs. I used to deliver his mail. Yeah. There was sort of an aura about him. And he was very, um, he had a great relationship with Richmond at the time. Dad was president, Graham Richmond was running the show. And he used to, oh, he used to sit on stories that I certainly wouldn't sit on these days. I mean, the favours right. he used to do then were un, was unbelievable. Right. But so. And my friend Corrie Perkin, who I do a podcast with, it's called yes. Don't Shoot the Messenger, give that a plug. Excellent. Um, she had done a year for The Age, and we were at RMIT together studying part-time while we were doing our cadetships. And she just said to me, you've got to come and work in footy, it's great. Yeah. And she accosted my sports editor, uh, Ron Reid, one day and said, I know this is someone you've got to give a chance to, and that's how it started. <laughs> Well, it's funny, I see a lot of parallels with myself, but I remember actually saying to Neil that I was interested in uh, getting into sports media, and I'm not going to go on what your reaction was, but it wasn't... It wasn't well, yeah, there were a bunch of pricks tell them nothing. No, 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 I didn't say that. What I said was, I don't know how much autonomy you have nowadays, and I know that you've probably got a little, but most of them seem not to have. I mean, it's probably the, it's the power of the the big media organisations, I, I look at it and I go, I don't reckon you're allowed to write what you want to write. Mm-hmm. Not so much in sport, but certainly in the real, part, you know, the other newsy part of journalism. I get the feeling that there wouldn't be a lot of autonomy I, in it. I completely disagree. I think we have too much autonomy. And I think this industry, and I'll, I'll get onto footy just to be specific, I think it's become so big that the journos have become way too big. Mm, I mean, the big names, it's just ridiculous that names like, you know, even, I mean, I find it embarrassing, you know, some of the notoriety I sometimes get. Mark Robinson, you know, Mike Sheehan. It's crazy how, and, and, you know, I think think it's part of the multimedia explosion. Yeah. And I reckon too often, it was better when we had less autonomy when I was a young journo, Neil. I mean, they would, you'd be told a lot of what to write, you were certainly never encouraged to write columns or opinion pieces. I mean, that was had to be earned over many, many okay. years. Now you've got, dare I say, people coming in yeah. at Will's age. Well, don't take any notes like, what I say. Well, <laughs> I, I, normally you're very smart, but I think you're wrong in this. I think it's the other way around. And I sometimes wish I had more direction and was driven more by other people, to be honest. Well, I, I read sometimes, I, sometimes I'm unfortunate enough to read the other paper. Mm. And I don't reckon that... <laughs> A lot of that stuff of us. Who the hell? No one really wants to write this. Yeah, There's I, a lot I, of rubbish in it. Look, you know, I I know, and Michael Green once said to me, "You're the smartest footballer he ever played with," oh. along with Kevin Bartlett. No, he did say that, but I, I think Rick you. Gordon. I think. But I think I just disagree with you. I mean, I think you have a dislike of the sensational. Yeah, I do. Yes. And yeah, I, and yeah, unfortunately, yeah. that's what you must know that people do want to read that. 
I mean, you must know that, well, unfortunately... I don't, I don't know where they live. I think they live somewhere else. <laughs> no, no. I, I just, Mars. Not I in also, your ivory not tower. I also disagree with you there because all my mates, all my friends are fascinated. They always want to know what's Neil thinking, what's Neil doing, what's what's happening at Richmond. They're all mad Richmond supporters, but that sort of thing. So no, I think no, the no. sensei, yeah, that, it has an audience. Well, when, it does, certainly, yeah. When do you think the... Uh, I suppose you could almost call it like a... No, I'm not going to call it a cult of personality, but the personality of the media, uh, the media personality, when do you think that sort of grew into what it is today? I think when... I blame Mike Sheehan. Yeah. And, you know, I love him and he's a good friend, but in the... I remember we were working together on the Sunday Age in the early 90s and Gary Fenton, who was running Channel 7 footy, asked him to come on a show that became Talking Footy. Right. And then... <laughs> Because footy got so big and because TV and radio weren't prepared to pay their own people, you know, the big bucks. So what they did was they spread us all around. And, you know, one show got me and one show got someone else. And Mike did a great service, really, for footy writers because we became, I mean, we became, you know, commentators as well as writers. Mm. And we were on three different mediums. And, you know, and obviously there were ex-footballers who come in as well. But everybody wanted the footy journo. So I think he started it. Right, okay. Early 90s. Okay. And, and obviously when it, it, that was with the explosion of football as well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was always yeah. big for me and it was always obviously massive for Neil and probably you growing up in your family, but it, it's so much bigger now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just massive, isn't it? Mm, the mm. papers it sells. It, the Age sold so many more newspapers after the Richmond Premiership, for example. It was oh, a, a Richmond-led recovery down at the age. I think everyone. I went to one of the local publicans and I wanted my cop because there's hundreds of people trying to get in. <laughs> I didn't get in. Do you think it's a free beer? Do you think it's a good thing that uh, footy consumes us as a society? It, well, I mean, I love it because, um, as you probably know, I write a lot more about the off-field issues yes. or the side issues. I mean, yeah. I'm as fascinated about why those Adelaide guys did that ridiculous death stare, as I am about, you yeah. know, a major turning point in the second quarter. Although that, when it's a grand final, that stuff is interesting too. Yeah. But from, I've always said sports journalism is every ju- form of journalism. I mean, mm-hmm. it's court reporting with tribunals, it's feature writing, it's colour writing, it's hard news, it's breaking news. It's got everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a great, you know, and, and I've been sent off in over the years to cover a lot of other stories. And I think even though I'd been a cadet and done a lot of other forms of journalism and other subjects, courts and politics, this is what really trained me to do the other stuff. And there are so many social issues. I mean, the mm. sackings of the two um, execs earlier this year, yes. the married execs who were having affairs with younger women in the office, you know, that, that, that was a dinner party conversation for the next sort of three weeks. The Wayne Carey scandal. I mean, I think the Herald Sun, it was 14 front pages before <laughs> you got to any other story. I, I can guarantee it was. It's a very funny story. We had a, a guy who had been up to, there's a sort of a racial vilification thing that was a little bit dicey. Um, and we're wondering how we're we going to present this because we had to go to the, the, into the papers. And all of a sudden, there's a story about to break. The Wayne Carey story, oh, and geez. we said, just get it out. <laughs> we were seventeen pages in. Just didn't matter. <laughs> oh, no, it was a, just a pure coincidence, yeah. but it just it saved us. No, no one's going to care about this. Some days you just get lucky, don't <laughs> you? Do. <laughs> but I mean, that that's so much more than sport. But it, mm. it, it's the ultimate, you know, team treachery, infidelity. Yeah. There, were, there were so many different elements to that story, and um, there's been so many. I mean, there's been racial situations. There's been um, the, you know, the rise of Eddie Maguire and the mm. just absolute intrigue about him. You know, the Jeff Kennett story, so much more than just a footy club. It's, I mean, all that stuff, it, it is quite consuming and fascinating yeah. and I love writing about it. Yeah, so what do you miss about football when you uh, first started? I really miss the fact that you now have to, and I don't do it and I discourage my colleagues from doing it, but you sort of have to do it a lot now, is um, when I started there were no media managers. Uh-huh. And they're, they're just, you know, they're just the, you know, yeah, the, the doorway. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm just not interested in something that a media manager tells me. I mean, there are good ones in the game and some that I get on with and some of them are prepared to tell you how it is. But mm. when I, I remember when I was 22, you know, my heart in my absolute mouth ringing Tony Jewell or 23, when he, I think he was coaching St Kilda by then, asking him on a Friday morning why he'd dropped a player. 
Now, can you imagine now ringing a coach and asking him why he dropped a player? I remember ringing Stephen Goff, who ended up running the MCC and Carlton before that, but he was team manager when I was a young footy rider. And you'd ring him. I mean, you'd ring players and ask. There is, you know, still a lot of coaches I can ring and do ring. And I've got a certain seniority, seniority I guess. But And I know it's great that clubs have got these websites now, but clubs breaking mm. their own news the way they want to present it on their websites... I find yeah. all that, I'm not going to use the word fake news, but I just find it really disappointing because I think in the end my job is to take people where they can't normally go. Everyone yeah. can see what happens on the footy field. I want to know what's going on in the dressing rooms. Yeah, it takes that spot. So that's what I really it? miss. Yeah. yeah. And, and for you, Neil, I suppose, well, you started back in 1942, but <laughs> what, were you, what do you miss from, from back when you started? I miss the black and white TV. <laughs> um, I don't know. I... I, I I always look forward. I don't look back much. I don't. I don't miss too much. I, I think nearly nearly all the time progression is good, change is good. Um, prob- probably what I'm not sure of is quite quite the game's so big, and the AFL is so all powerful. I'm not sure that that's mm. the best way for it to run. Like we can we tend to forget that the real entities in this game are the clubs and the mm. players, but they're kind of like third and fourth run there's all these other people running the show and making decisions for everyone else but it's the clubs and the players that really that everyone cares about no, no one barracks for the AFL is there a lack of trust for the AFL towards the clubs or is what's what's the story there well no there isn't a way and you can understand why we were talking about earlier on off here we were talking about the spending of the money and who's got the money and who hasn't mm. and Footy clubs have been are famous for making stupid decisions and spending too much money and cheating the salary cap and yeah. well, if we don't spend all this dough we won't win so you throw all the money in so we can understand why there are these things in place um, yeah but I think we're a lot better than that now but I think um, there are still a lot of controls and I'm not I'm yeah. not absolutely sure I mean the the AFL briefs against the clubs all the time yeah you get that yeah. feeling. And, and not all clubs. And, you know, the, I know, I know for example, the AFL would be and is full of admiration for, you know, what Peggy and Brendan have done here at Richmond. Yes. And, you know, oh, and they'll also be high-fiving and, you know, counting their, all their money on the way to the bank because, I mean, it's been a fabulous result for them. But the, there are, there's a, a rank of executives there who can be very scathing about a lot of the clubs and they don't like clubs who take it up to the AFL. That's another thing I miss. Mm-hmm. Clubs used to stand up to the AFL more. Now they're all a bit beholden, you know, oh, worried about their a, fixture. There's and, only a handful of us who don't own a potload of money. That's the problem. Yep, yep. All so, no, at the risk of being nostalgic and an old fuddy-duddy, there are a few things like that I do miss. Yeah. Having said that, in the old days, it was the, the club representative at the AFL made, you know, like every time there was a vote at, at the VFL or whatever it was in the old days, they had to vote on, along club lines. So we're going to make, you can understand why we didn't make very yeah. many progressive decisions. The commission is a very important thing to add because they've got to rule the, the AFL for the greater good rather than worrying about the individual clubs specifically. But I think we've probably gone a little bit too far away at times. Yeah. I'm not sure the clubs have got as much influence as they should have, personally. What's the most influential story or, or your, I suppose, your favourite story that you've broken or exposed over the years? Oh, I was going to say there are so many. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me sound like a, a complete well, tosser. No, you've been in it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, one that I, I think it was, it was slightly groundbreaking and it was certainly very nerve-wracking to approach this person and get him to talk about it and in light of what we're seeing today was when I was first the age chief footy writer in 1999 I called Ken Hunter and asked him if he would be prepared to talk to me about his mental breakdown or break uh, his battle with depression that he had had at the end of his playing career and I'd always heard that he'd struggled um, when he was dropped for the first time at the age of 30, I think it was. Robert Walls was his coach. Yeah, right. And um, I'd always heard that he'd been institutionalised for a brief period of time in the Melbourne Clinic. And it was just... I rang him up at work one day. I can't almost believe that I did it. I'd just sort of come into the job. And he said, let me have a think about it. And he called me, and I didn't know him or anything. But a week later, he called me up and he said, you know what, I think... Um, I think I think it's time to, you know, talk about it. And look, obviously I, I did say to him, 
that this will be this will do a lot of good. Mm. But I, I had to be honest. I said it will also be a really good story for me. And at the time, I don't think any player had ever, mm. or former player, and certainly a player of his calibre, had put his hand up and spoken about that frailty. Yeah. And yeah. what followed were a few coffees and various meetings and. And I'd never, ever do this, but I said that he could see the story before I wrote it because he was taking a big risk with me, I guess. His wife, didn't, who I've subsequently got to know, didn't want him to do it. David Park and his old coach and friend didn't want him to do it. But he did it. And the, I, I just, I cannot tell you, Will, how mm. the next day he called me up and he, and he rang, and, you know, you always answer the phone a bit nervously when you've written the story. <laughs> yeah, that's so rich. <laughs> Hello, and I said, oh, Ken, and he said, look, I just want to say thank you. I feel like the monkey's off my back. Mm. I feel like a load has been lifted. And he went, and I'm, I really, I'm not taking credit for this. It was him who did it. But it was, it, looking back, it was pretty nerve-wracking to have to ring him and ask him about it and very confronting. But he then started speaking to, you know, groups of young men about mental illness and depression. And when you look at... Now you've got the AFL identifying that this is the biggest single issue yeah. facing players today and it's become so prevalent and so many players are putting their hand up and saying, we ne I need time out because of this. So yeah. that that would be, I mean, yeah, that would be one that... I've forgotten that Kenny was really the... Yeah. Not the first one, but the trailblazer. Well, well I, I think he sort of... Uh, I don't know of anyone else who did before that. And I remember because Andrew Demetrio was running, running the Players Association. So it was very useful for me because that I got some respect, you know, with all of them and they didn't know me that well at the time and they felt that it, it had portrayed in a responsible way that battle with mental illness. Because I remember at the similar time, I suppose, Wayne Schwoss is uh, publicised with a, a battle with um, depression and he's yeah. come out and really supported that. But I remember he said something about how he wasn't ready back then and the game wasn't ready. No. Mm. Well, well, it... it Ken, uh, what made me happy was that it helped Ken, and yeah. he's, he's such a lovely bloke yes, yeah. and such a great. And I'd always loved him as a player. Could have the Tigers could have got him, I reckon. But they <laughs> well, thought well, reckon, he was too skinny to be a, a centre halfback. No, I reckon your father said we don't recruit halfback flankers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he said. And Dad blamed Paddy Ganane, but oh, it probably was his fault. I think it might have been. <laughs> so it was the next big story uh, the very first gay footballer? Is that one of the or male gay footballer. Yeah, because, male gay footballer. Well, exactly. that's, that, yeah, that's, that's a thing. That's, it's well, interesting. It's made it so much more accessible, that whole notion of it. The, oh, the, completely. The wonderful, the, the wonderful way that the uh, the women's footy has come into our lives and you go, who thought it was... Oh, I didn't think it was, could be anything like that good. No, it, I didn't like, either. Yeah, it was I, didn't, I wasn't fantastic. a believer when yeah. they first talked about fantastic. it. And it will only get better because... The number I walk walk around the park nowadays, or walk down the street, and there's a few kids kicking a footy. There's always a handful of girls amongst mm. them. Where they yeah. never, there might have been one in the, every now and again, but the, the girls are loving it. It's uh, again, that's another subject. But that's, I used to do it sometimes in our yeah. back garden, but the well, not Neil, but there were always people who'd push you away and say, "Leave it to the boys." Anyway, no, you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, I think that look in a way, you know, it's such a private thing, your yeah. sexuality, mm. and I'm sure that I'm sure we've had gay footballers in the past, and I'm, I'm sure that their teammates have known about it, and well, I know that, and they've just all decided to protect that bloke and yeah. and not because I think it would be God, it'd be a massive thing. You know, it's, it's interesting. We were talking thing. about it. Shouldn't it shouldn't be, but it, it would be. My gut feel is that I don't think the media overall would cope with it well enough. I think the players within their own teams, I think the clubs, are, I reckon it'd be easy. But I just reckon the whole story of the gay player, it'd be almost too much. It'd be too many times you have to, well, how does, how does this affect him? How does that happen? How does, that, that's, the, that's the feeling that I think that yep. if, you, if you were that person, you'd be saying, oh, I, don't, I don't know whether I can cope with this. I reckon it'll be too much. I'm not, not saying the media wouldn't handle it properly, but I reckon I know, too I much know what you, too, I know what you mean. Yeah. Look, I, it was it was such a big night, that AFLW, that medal, W medal night, mm. <clears throat> when Erin Phillips got up and thanked her wife and told her how much she loved her and went and sat down and kissed her, or maybe she kissed her first, I can't remember, but you just sat there as an Australian who just am so ashamed that we don't have marriage equality in yeah. this country. I just thought, oh, well, this is such a big moment for football. I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. <laughs> 
But uh, imagine yeah, if someone had told you five years yeah. ago that we'd have a national it's women's a setup. league, it's a setup. <laughs> and this beautiful girl who's a champion basketballer and the daughter of Greg Phillips would thank her American wife, and they've got a baby. Yeah. You just go, come on. So I sort of thought it made me, you know, feel yeah, quite yeah. proud. But I, I don't um, look. Will you say the next gay footballer is a male footballer is the next big story? But something will happen. Mm. This game has a way of telling stories that no soap opera could write, yeah. that no film script could write. When you think about the, the stories it's come up with over the last 10, 20 years, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I suppose, how did that, the first game, Collingwood Carlton, when uh, in the AFLW, how did that impact you as a, a female sports journalist and a, and a woman? Oh, look, it was incredible. Mm. It was incredible. Eddie Maguire didn't turn up, so it was a good opportunity to have a crack at everyone else was having a crack at him. <laughs> yeah. It was a, a beautiful, warm night. Um, I couldn't believe so many people turned up. I know it was free, but, you know, Gillan McLaughlin having to go out and speak to all these people who couldn't get in. Gillan McLaughlin asking the police if he could bring them in and line the ground and the police saying no. Yeah. I mean... You know, if you build it, they will come sort of thing. Um, a bit like the Tigers winning the premiership. I mean, it just overwhelmed everyone. Mm. It wasn't a great game. Carlton played played pretty well. It was it was a big night for the Carlton Footy Club. I mean, it was like having covered a lot of games at Princes Park. It was great that it was at Princes Park. Mm. No, it was a really old-fashioned footy night. And there were so many kids there and so many women. You know, it was just... And there were and the I went out and spoke to a few of them. They weren't regular footy fans, mm. which is why it's a bloody smart move of the yeah, AFL to, yeah. to to push it. And I mean, footy's been quite unique in that it's something like you know the fifty fifty the people who watch are men and women, which is normally not not the way. Like for a man's game, yeah. it's it's actually quite accessible to women in terms of been supporting it over the years. But it, there must there must be something big will happen from this. I mean. Yeah, because we all and we're talking about. I mean, someone my age, you go through that that whole the respect for women. How how does that work? Equality for women in workplace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This has got to help it. You know, like it's got to say, well, yeah, man, we play women's footy. All the, it's just got to be part of the big picture, doesn't it? Well, well, yeah, and and being me, Neil, I'm I'm just excited for the fact that we're going to have more women coaches among the That's men's right. teams. Yeah. We're going to yeah, have more women footy commentators because you're going to get more people like Daisy Pierce. I mean, how yeah. much better is she on the boundary than some yeah. of the blokes Channel Seven oh, News? It's embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I'm not, you know, it's not a competition, but and isn't she a beautiful kick? She's a beautiful she kick. She she's a great kick. She's yeah. a really nice, really yeah. nice woman yeah, too. But so, yeah. and she's smart. But you know, so we're going to get the commentators, the officials, the umpires, and the game needs more of these good people, and they need more women because that's the only way mm. that we're going to actually, you know, improve our social behaviour. I reckon. Now, uh, with social media, it's changed. How much has it dramatically changed uh, the way you've gone about your job, or has it? not impacted you or look I'm a bit of a dinosaur uh-huh. and I'm, I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Twitter I just hate all that stuff I think it's self-absorbed and and so sort of insular and and you know all these you know you sit at restaurants now and you look at entire families and they're all looking at their mobile <laughs> yeah. phone oh it's, yeah. it's just shocking it's just make anyway so the the deadline thing you know I still the age is trying to get me a bit more you know, don't worry about breaking a story for the paper the next day. If you know it at 11, we need it for the lunchtime cycle. If you know it for this time, do it for this cycle. And I'm, I'm getting better at it. It's a great opportunity for journos, as well as being something that means we all have to work a lot harder. Yeah. I love the whole podcast thing. I think that's great. Yeah. And well, the age is doing... And again, I'm a dinosaur. I'm self-confessed. The thing about the whole social media thing that annoys me is that there's almost no reflection. It's all, it's just, right. yep. there's no like, you know, when you say you love writing, that's when you think about it, it's a damn actually right. Yep. Whereas this is, it's almost yep. like, you know, it's just what you're thinking right at the top of mind, no real thought. And it's, it, it can be so mean. It's, yeah, that's gonna, right. it's so yeah, mean. mean yeah. And you look, I look at, I've got three children and they're from 21 to 27. Even the difference from what the 27-year-old encountered at school, in mm. senior school, compared to the 21-year-old. And the stuff that, you know, the, the eldest and the youngest are girls. Oh, it's just horrible. And I think the other thing, is, I mean, this is a great example for me. When Dean Bailey died, he, mm. the news broke of his death in the morning. And The Age wanted me to write a piece about Dean Bailey by midday so they could get it on the, you know, lunchtime readership or something. 
And I just couldn't write about Dean Bailey in two hours. I mean, I just couldn't do it. I, I just can't write anything without making a lot of phone calls, trying to make sense of what it meant, talking to uh, people about his yeah. last days, his last weeks, how he finally felt in the end about the Melbourne sacking, about the tanking, you know. It, and I wrote it, I think I filed it about four or five, and I was really proud of the piece I wrote. I was really happy with it. It wasn't a, it didn't eulogise, it wasn't all positive and it wasn't all negative. But someone, one of the editors said, look, you know, that was a really good piece, but, you know, you lost... 20,000 readers and I sort of said well I actually don't really care I mean yeah. I, I just can't have my name to something that isn't particularly when you're writing about a big football names you know life that is going to make the 12 o'clock news I said you, you know you should have got someone else to do that and left me to do the other but one that's 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 also like if I read that now that would be just as meaningful as if I had read it when he died well think, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah should exactly that's, yeah that's not the way newspapers work I know but immediacy is yeah, not always no. and I mean there's a lot of talk about we try to be first and not right well I try to be first <laughs> and right well, actually I was about to ask that Karen, question it's been the growth of the the football the, the newsbreaker really um particularly with social media, but I suppose that question, it begs the question, what's more important? And I suppose it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. Oh, of course it's important to be right. I mean, of course it is. Yeah. But you want to be first as well. And if you're a good journo, you're both. Yeah. You know, I mean, clearly I've made mistakes over my career. Clearly I have. And Mm. clearly I haven't always been first. But I I probably regret not being right more than I do not being first, looking yeah. back. But I also regret not being first sometimes when I think I could have had that story and I should have been stronger and I should have written it the day before, you know. So it's a it's a constant struggle, Will. Yes. And it is a struggle. <laughs> I don't know your thoughts on this one, Neil, because uh, <laughs> you're just giving me a look. But <laughs> No, well, I mean, and you're absolutely right, and your your opinion of um, some journos is well known, Neil, but, yeah. you know, it, it, well, it's do, hard. None of them do I not like personally. Some some of them I just don't like what they do. <laughs> yeah, and, and probably that's me sometimes, and it's it difficult can be because... sometimes, but not always. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I, I have great respect for Neil, and there are a lot of people like Neil in the industry I really mm. like and respect, but... It's a it's a difficult relationship because mm. you have to sometimes ring them up and ask them questions that they just don't want to talk about. Oh, we know. You you have to write things I don't want you to write, even though they are right. Yeah. But that, that's yeah. why we try and we hide them a little bit. But that's yeah. and but the it, reality it, is that the thing that I've it's a learned, constant battle. I've learned in the footy. The one that maybe this is new is that <laughs> deal with it now is the best way to do it. Do not try and hide it. Do not try and make it go away. Deal with it now is the best time to deal with it. Yes. Because particularly in this world, you can't you can't hide anything. You can't stories will come out. Well, that's right. Some of these stories last for if you deal with them early, they only last for two days. But if yeah, you let them right. linger, it's you know. Oh, well, then all of a sudden well, I've got this new information, new in there. Yeah. Gives it oxygen. But I want to ask about both of you actually about the expansion clubs. There's been a lot uh, spoken about about Gold Coast with Gary Ablett leaving uh, two coaches uh, he hasn't in left the well, he's on his way out. But do you think uh, do you think the AFL will continue to expand over the next ten years, or uh, is the Gold Coast uh... to expand beyond eighteen teams? Yes. God, I hope not. <laughs> it's going to be hard to win the premiership then. It's hard enough yeah. when there's eighteen. Um, look, I don't think I, I I feel very strongly about Tasmania. I yes. really, really think they should have had a crack at Tasmania. Mm. I think they should have given Tasmania a women's team day one. And that would have made a that would have made a big difference. Um, I think that they call themselves social leaders and community leaders, and they say they care about these policies. Well, had they were, were they able to one day say we we made a difference in Tasmania, where the unemployment is the worst in the country, where poverty is the worst in the country, mm. and created something, and we could start bringing good players out of Tasmania again, then it would have been. So, look, I, I really do fear for the Gold Coast. You know, when, when Lee Matthews says it's one team is enough in this state, I think you've got to listen. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a challenge. Because I think the, I mean, the socioeconomic numbers said all of the people that we haven't engaged with footy are either in South East Queensland or in New South Wales. So you can understand, we can understand why, well, that's the place to put teams because if we can convert them, we've got something pretty special. But it was always going to be a big ask. Yeah. It's a, it's a real challenge. So, 
It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Even the TV ratings and the, what they're all worth. I think Andrew Demetrio completely exaggerated that. I do have some admiration for GWS. Oh no, no, I, I do. I'm not. I'm not saying it's wrong. And I think GWS have done a marvelous job. And top the, two, top four finishes in their first six yeah, years. And then is remarkable. Fourteen thousand yeah. people come and watch their game, so they're they're up <laughs> against it. Um, that's not being critical, and they can't yep. be much about that. But, well, they can only be as good as they can be. No, I think they're, they're outstanding, and there's no doubt that the Gold Coast Suns um, are disappointing. They should be better than that. But what, yeah. what happens next year if, say, Tom Lynch goes, "I'm out. I'm coming back to Victoria," and the Gold Coast are left with, you know. This absolutely isn't Gillen going to give him a big ambassadorship? Well, which Neil will be thrilled about. <laughs> thrilled about that's that. Right. I suppose what responsibility the AFL? Oh, he he well, seems to be. There's, there's no doubt that he'll get paid more money there than anywhere else. You would think. Yeah. And that that is that is an inevitability. That's what the AFL should do. I think. Now, what he does, who knows what he does, but you would think that that's what. It sounds they, like they he need, will probably, unless it. he falls in love with Stewie Jew and he changes everything, and who knows whether that'll work. I mean, he seems mm. to be saying all the right things and have the right pedigree. Yeah. Um, but, look, it's all about good people. I mean, mm. it's there's so much marketing, and, and we're sitting here talking at the moment around trade and draft time. I mean, you, you look at what Brisbane have done. In the end, I reckon, just get rid of Josh Shackey, because every time you see him, you say, well, he reminds you of this kid who had to go up there and really hated it. Yeah. And even yeah. though Luke Hodge, I hate to think of him leaving Hawthorne, mm. It's such a great marketing thing for a young kid to go, gee, if Hodgie's happy to go up there, even if he plays on one leg, you know, four games, again, it's a big statement. So so maybe that's the sort of thing Mark Evans, their CEO at the Gold Coast, will have to look at. Right. Now, a, yeah. an issue I'm particularly... I know Neil's also very uh, passionate about it, but I find that uh, gambling and alcohol advertising in football is uh, out of control. And I was wondering, where, where does the AFL, where does their influence have to come in here to actually make a difference and regulate <laughs> regulate the system. I'm just... I'll tell you what really disgusts me lately, and it's, it's unfair to single out people, but what the agencies, the gambling companies are doing now is they're paying good, solid-seeming family men, former mm. AFL champions, like at the moment we've got Jimmy Bartell and Chris Judd and even Danny Frawley, who is, you know, the quintessential family man, good bloke, on his radio station talking about this great new punting system where you're really high risk and the losses are huge and the wins are huge. And I'm listening to this thinking, Danny, how can you do this? Mm. And and same with Jimmy. And obviously Jimmy likes a bit. I mean, he couldn't no, couldn't vote on the Norm Smith medal, did he? Because <laughs> yeah, he, right. he, he already put money on <laughs> um, Flostone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so I, I find that really insidious. I find it really insidious that um, the AFL just take all this money mm. from Crownbet. You know, it's, it's a massive deal, that Crownbet deal, and it, it broke all records. And they won't even, you know, on their family fun Sundays where they let kids in for free or for half price, they still won't stop the gambling advertising and the signage around mm. the grounds. They can, you know, they fought the government on over the gambling ads on TV, it, it is such the, the hip hop hypocrisy. I mean, we said before mental illness and footy, but mm. gambling and footy clubs among the players is just an epidemic. Well, that's right. I mean, it's a, a massive problem. <coughs> the hypocrisy yeah. is extraordinary when you think about it mm. because all of the things that they, we say we stand yeah. for and the AFL stands for, they know better than any of us that a lot of that gambling stuff is insidious. Some people can't not do it, and uh, they know it. And there are programs that we should run with our players, and we're going to, and they, and they, they don't want us to run because it's it's just so obvious how bad it is. And it's not just for our players; it's for all the people out there. And it is, I I hate I'm a laissez-faire person. I think people are entitled to make their own decisions. We shouldn't stop them from smoking. We shouldn't stop them from do, they need to make their decision. But in something like football, where we're so holier than they are about most of the things we promote and then we're saying we're making an absolute shitload of dough out of this game we say yeah. we're doing it do you reckon gambling's a good thing oh well people are entitled to gamble surely yeah, but they're but not it's, in, it's insidious Rich, it and dare I say Neil Richmond has money in gaming machines. oh no of course we do we understand that and if we could not be in gaming we would well now that, so, now that you've won the ultimately, premiership we, ultimately we will be we will you should be looking be at ways imagine if we the are. Richmond footy club took a stand and got out of gaming machines. I mean, you, you look, your profits aren't like what Hawthorne's are. I think it would be 
I think you need to get creative about that. I think Hawthorne, you you want to see people at Hawthorne look uncomfortable. From Alistair Clarkson down, you ask them about their gaming profits. It is an utter disgrace. And And you look at where the venues are. They're all in venues where the lowest housing prices are around Victoria. You go to the, there's a club up in Cairns called the Kazali Club, mm. which is named after, it's called the Kazali Club. And it's full of, you know, people who just look like they honestly can't afford to, you know, afford their bus fare home. And they're all in there. And that's the AF, the face of the AFL footy in Cairns. It's an utter, it really makes me quite angry. Do you think a collective, uh, say a 10-year plan for all clubs to say we're going to get rid of gaming machines in our clubs would have to be made, Neil? Well, they could do it, but they have to fund it with the other money from the other gambling. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, that's supposed well, to be funny. I find that less insidious than the, the gambling sports, sports on the gambling. games, the sports bill. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's everywhere. People can't not do it. You go to the AFL I, I, website, never, as a kid put, can, and I've the first thing they see are the odds. Though. I've never mm. put a dollar in the machine, so I, that's not, I'm not a gambler, so I, I don't, don't worry me. Yeah. But it's um I, I just I watch I watch the games I got to put up with this all the time. I think what am I watching this for This shouldn't be on. Well, we're teaching a whole new generation of yeah. kids how to gamble. And do you notice mm. on the gambling ads on TV they all shout at you? <laughs> yeah, they shout at you to bet. It's yeah. sort of it, it's that bucks. Why do you call him Neil? Do you ever call him Dad, or is this just for the purposes of the podcast? I usually call him Neil. I don't know why. I just um I've gotten to a a habit there. It's habitual, like gambling is. I suppose. I, 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 I call him son. I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh, it's good to find out. <laughs> um, I suppose 10 years ago, I'm going to ask this question as sort of a, 10 years ago, what did you think was going to be the biggest issue now? And what do you think is going to be the biggest issue in football in about 10 years' time? Taking oh, a stab. Real, <laughs> you too, nice, Neil, as well. Tough questions. <laughs> 10 years ago, look, I, I did think... I certainly thought that the AFL and its attitude towards women was going to be a big yes. issue. I thought that the evolving, the laws of the game is, it, you know, clear, 10 years ago when I'm, I'm looking back at it now, the big issues were um, the drugs policy, which was just going through a really pivotal change, mm. the respect and responsibility policy going through a pivotal change, and you look at it now and they're still grappling with both, really, aren't they, the AFL? Yes. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't I, I probably knew Gillan McLaughlin was going to be running the AFL because he was on an upward trajectory. Mm. I never thought that they'd get Neil Barn back to Richmond. <laughs> They've been trying for about thirty bloody years. <laughs> uh, it, it's really difficult to get the, the crystal ball. I'm I'm not really good at that. But I, I reckon in in ten years' time, I tell you what I think will be the big issue. Then I think because other clubs are going to bang on about it. I think the MCG is the home of the grand final, will become right. a talking point the closer we get to yes. the next contract. And I think the 10 clubs in Victoria yep. will really start to challenge the AFL. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not a crystal ball man, Neil, but uh, sorry, Dad. Uh, but what, what would you say? <laughs> I'm not, not. I'm just interested, that's all. I'm just interested. Yeah, I don't know. Um... And how massive is it with the Peggy O'Neill being a female president for the game? With the, more of them. In yeah. charge of the yeah. premiership team. Well, it was good. It's a yeah. good thing that Hawthorne chose that week to sack their, CEO, their woman <laughs> CEO. Because at least you could say, well, some women make it well, in this do. game. Oh, a lot of women will make it. A lot more women will make it as well. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I do find it a bit hard to project. I mean, you're so much involved with today and then for next hmm. year and then the year after. But... I think we're we're in a pretty good place. People love playing footy. The women's side of it is just gonna we're gonna it's gonna progress. I don't know quite where that's gonna fit. Mm. Um, but I, but there is a challenge to have ten teams in Melbourne. But I, but I don't think they have to be supported by Melbourne as such. I mean it's it's really it's the AFL. It's an Australian game. So it depends where they doesn't matter where they live. It's matter where they play. I suppose. Do you think with them? I mean, seeing what happened with the American football and concussion, do you think that's going to be a... Uh, for, a fortunately, it, whilst, whilst it's an issue in our game, it's nowhere near the issue that it is in either the American game or even in mm. rugby league and probably rugby union. Because we don't, we don't play clashes. for the tackle, we play yeah. to avoid the tackle. So there's probably less of it. But it, it, We've it, seen it, a will, few it will be an issue. Oh, it will be. It is an issue. It is an issue. Yeah, it's, um, it's much worse than I ever thought it would be yeah 
but maybe we just didn't take any notice of it before because we didn't know enough about it from a scientific and medical point of view. Um, but we're much more aware of it now and alert to it, which which means that we'll probably control it better because we, as soon as someone's got any kind of minor issue with concussion, we, we don't let him play. Whereas once they, you just play, they played on. I imagine we played on. But. Well, you, yeah, you always told us that they'd done the concussion test and everything was fine. Oh, but, but the real ages back when oh, we almost didn't have a concussion. Back test. in the seventies, yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. think I think the AFL is actually a bit of a world leader. Yes, in their concussion well. testing yeah. now. So yeah. I think that's one area. I mean, there are a lot of areas where the AFL is is best world best practice because there are so many good people in the industry because mm. it pays yeah, people well. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conditioning people in Medicos are outstanding. They are, and, and, and you know, they are, I know that, you know, there's a cap on footy department spending, but they're certainly better remunerated than the old days and better than any other sport. In fact, I feel sorry for a lot of the other, feel sorry for other women's sports at the moment. Yeah. With the women's AFL doing so well, mm. because it's going to be a struggle mm. for soccer and it's going to be a struggle for athletics, one of my loves, to Well, that, that's one of the interesting things women. I'll ask you, that the... the the relative economies, like footy's paid for by the people who go and watch the footy and the TV, etc., etc. And for some reason, a lot of women's sport is not. Whilst it, like netball, if you go and watch it, it is just brilliant. But it's not, you know, it's not seen that way. It doesn't make the money, so you can't spend the money. And women's footy is kind of it's in that same group. What is it actually going to do? Are people going to love it enough? For it to drive that kind of revenue, that that that'll be that's what's happening in the next ten years. I reckon. How does that work? You know, because yeah. like even you know, if you look at cricket, Test cricket, millions of people, plenty a day. <laughs> God, it's not me. <laughs> no, it's only Tamara. Oh, it's, it's only The only thing I'll say about that, and I'm sort of contradicting what I said before, yes. is that. Um, I think the explosion in women's footy, will, in, in some ways, it will help those other sports. I mean, netball's had a netball has done a decent pay deal, and they've now got um, their shows are going to be next year. They're going to be on Channel Nine on Sundays after the um, you know Sunday Footy Show and yeah. uh, Future Stars. So, I, and I think the women, the, our women's soccer team has gone up in leaps and bounds. The cricketers are getting much better coverage. So. And there's such yeah. a demand for all live sport that I, I think, you know, the women's sports will start to fill that more and more. Hopefully, we had those yeah. fantastic yeah. advertising campaigns as well. I think it was like Girl, Girls Play 2 or... Um, play Like the, a Girl. Play Like a Girl. Yeah. Some of those campaigns yeah. have been absolutely brilliant. Then there was the one this year with uh, Daisy Pierce handing uh, a young girl the ball for, for NAB, I think it was. So yeah. that's, I mean, you, that influence on... Uh, I think the power yeah. of the clubs will really help the women's league. Oh, too. yeah. yeah. yeah I, think it's, I think that's... It's fantastic that all clubs are saying, we've got to have one, we've got to have one. Five years ago, we thought, oh, what are we going to do with this? But now everyone goes, well, that's this is a, this is part of, this is our club. We're not just The, the AFL was crazy not yeah. to give Richmond a licence in the nick. I mean, I know you've got one in 2020, yeah. but that was a, yeah. Yeah, they, they, a really strange decision. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of politics around it, and I don't understand it, but at least we know what we're going to do. I think if we didn't get one at all, we would have been bitterly disappointed. Now, Carolyn, uh, this is the first time we're ending the show with this the five questions. We don't have a name for the segment, but basically it's just five questions. Without notice, Will. <laughs> Without really? notice, I know. I should have, uh, should have let you know. But, uh, <laughs> right. so, and they're quite personal, but I know you're a Joni Mitchell fan, so I'm, I'm sure you've done some reflection uh, about some of these questions. But uh, number one, what do you fear? Dying. Uh, what do you and hope? Quite for? rightly too. Oh. It's going to happen. At some <laughs> That's time. right. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a universal fear, isn't it? But it, it's oh, it still terrifies it's me. Yeah. yeah, I can't get my head around it at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you hope for? A oh, long life and happiness for my children. It's a pretty. <clears throat> it sounds very boring, but it is just. Once you have children, Will, that is all you care about. Yeah. I mean, you just want them to have really happy long lives, and you really hope you can stick around long enough. And I've got, I've got two parents who are very much alive and my husband's parents are very much alive. So I'm sort of hoping that, you know, that longevity will carry on. Uh, what makes you happy? A really good story that yeah. no one else knew about. <laughs> oh, no, look, I mean, what makes me happy? So many things. You know, a good, a good game of bridge. I really love playing yeah. cards. <laughs> I, love, I love spring and watching my garden grow. 
I, there are so many things that make me happy. I really, I'm very fortunate. I quite enjoy my own company. I don't Excellent. need to be yeah. in the company of others. So travel makes me happy. I just I love reading. I'm a voracious reader. Good thriller. So what was the last book you read? This isn't one of the questions, but what was the last uh, good read that you had? I've, I've just read a, an absolutely fantastic book called Our Souls at Night by Kent Haroof. He's the most wonderful writer. Right. And um, before that, I read Plain Song, which was also by him. He writes about Midwest Americans sort of in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And, oh, they're the most beautiful, simple stories. Yeah. Um, what makes you sad? Oh, what makes me sad? That's a, I mean, again, you know, obviously um, when something when something bad happens to my kids, mm. um, when they go through, go through a personal hardship, um, there's a saying that you're only as, um, as happy as your unhappiest child, and it is just so true. I mean, it's, it's the, you're all these cliches when you're young, Will, that yeah. you just think are ridiculous, like youth is wasted on the young and at least you've got your health. and You, you think they're such crap, but they're actually <laughs> so true when you get to your 50s, or I reckon they are. <laughs> Um, look, a lot of things make me sad. I mean, a sad movie makes mm. me cry. Um, the the thought of you know losing my parents makes me very sad. Um, certain you know stories stories that I've covered make me sad. I mean, I still get angry when I think about the Essendon Footy Club yeah. and what they did to those boys. I mean, that really that more makes me angry, and it makes me really sad when I think about some of those kids who went to that footy club bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and their parents so excited and some of their, you know, well, certainly their footy lives have been absolutely ruined. Mm. Um, that's a very, very difficult question. <laughs> yes. But there's a, there's a few but, examples. Well, they are the universal questions. And the final one, actually, I've got two more. Uh, what album or book would best accompany your life story? Oh, um... Well, I do love Blue by Joni Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. There's so I mean, that's got it all, hasn't it? it Happiness, does. sadness, Christmas, travel, broken romances, happy romances. Yeah, A Case of You, I think, is the most beautiful song. Yeah, that, that is, and yeah. It actually gets me now thinking yeah. about it. Still be on my feet, which happily I still am. Yes. Um, and no, I think that would be one. And if... My my husband and I also really love Elvis Costello, and he... Yeah. One of our favourite songs is... Um, well, well, there's so many, but it's called Every Day I Write the Book. And if you listen to the words of that and, and we think about our careers, that's pretty fitting as well. Yeah, right. I was going to ask, when do you think Richmond are going to win their next premiership? But I'll... Well, I don't see why they can't go back to back. I really can't. I don't think <laughs> they're going to... I know. Yes. I know you have. I don't think it's... I don't think they'll be like the doggies. I find it really hard. I mean, I actually went to the best and fairest and watching that VFL team get up on stage and looking at guys like Ellis and Menadju and Soldo and I thought, oh, boy, you know, some really pretty good players in the VFL. <laughs> and, you know, the best players are all about 27. And mm. was there any... Special Hawley 30? Were there any 30-year-olds no, in the team? Jack, Jack no, 29? Grigger and Jack. And, yeah, but so they're, they're not, but they're there not wasn't even a 30-year-old in the team. And, you know, the difference between Richmond and the Bulldogs, and the Bulldogs, I mean, their path to the premiership, you know, is, in terms of the actual finals was so much harder. But um, I think that, you know, the, the solid administration had already been built mm. and the on-field success followed, which the Bulldogs, I think, have tried to build the off-field success off the back of their premiership. Yes. And it must help to have, you know, There's that stability, solid... Some stability. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they weren't sort of stable, but they didn't really have money and they didn't have a huge supporter base well, like the, Richmond the, do. Well, the crazy thing after such a sad 16, the way they finished, and everyone was really kind of worried about what the numbers are going to look like and we sold, you know, 70-odd, 5,000 membership or something. So that it yeah. showed that the club was still in that, a strong... You know, as you said, a strong yeah. administrative position already without having any, you know, they hadn't been that bad, but that year they were pretty ordinary. So the, the mystique of student yeah. return to, there's always a magic about this place, I've always thought. I mean, I always talk about Tigerland and when I was a kid, but it's so true. And um, they, they've got so many big games. I mean, they've got the season opener where the flag will be unfurled. Yes. I don't know if you went to Anzac Eve, but that was one of the most beautiful nights of my year, let alone a footy night. You know, the Dreamtime game and, you know, all credit to Sheeds and Simon Matthews and the guys who dreamt that up. That is just a great occasion. Mm. So they've got all these great things to look forward to, even from the bad old days, and now they're good. I mean, who knows what they can make of it. Yeah, the, the MCG is an enormous bonus for us. Yep. We love playing there and 
it's a great place to, to put on a show and and you got a, fortunately we had a lot of people come. And you got a home game when you weren't supposed to in the qualifying finals. <laughs> oh please, <laughs> don't well, call no, well, that I, to well, I, I, I don't, I don't uh, dismiss that. No, no. I, I completely dismiss it. As well, if you were going to play a Geelong Richmond uh, final at a ground that holds barely thirty-two thousand well, people. Tell me, tell me this then. Why, oh. why, in heaven's name, would you go and play a spotless stadium in front of fourteen thousand people if you all you care about is how many people Look, go? Look, if if you are at the home team. You you should have to play in your home state. You get to play in your home yeah, but state. It's, you just changed the rules for it. Why can't? No. Why shouldn't you play at the home ground? Well, home state is where I'm happy well, yeah, to leave. Because because I think your argument. Break I understand your argument, and I'm not <laughs> arguing against it because I'm, I'm yellow and black. I'm not blue and white. But I'd, I understand I'd say the blue and white right, Barry. <laughs> we could be here all night, but. Uh, Caroline, thank you very much for joining us. It's been wonderful. And uh, thank you, Neil. Well, I hope I don't have too much podcaster's remorse. You know, when you go home and toss and why didn't I say that? Why did I say That's so shallow. But I really enjoyed it, Will. Thank you. Oh, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Good night. William. Very good. Thank you.